You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and thanks for downloading this special edition of the Attacking Scrum podcast. As you'll know if you've been listening to the show over the last couple of weeks, we've got a few of these specials coming up for you over the next few weeks. This is the first of those and it's a Six Nations review, uh, which myself and Dan conducted with Sonny Parker and Kai Griffiths down at Old Deer Park, home of course uh, to London Welsh. So a big uh, a big thanks to both Sonny and Kai for doing this and to everyone who came along down to the event as well and uh, a special thanks to Chestertons and London Welsh for arranging the event for us. Really enjoyed doing this one. Uh, hopefully the, the sound quality holds up. Again, uh, it's it's just myself and Dan doing this so you know we haven't got fancy equipment to record it. Uh, just the stuff that, that me and him can afford and so uh, yeah, do hope that it's it holds up on the sound quality. Really enjoyable evening though. We enjoyed that a lot and it was great to, to chat to to some of these guys. Um I think particularly on getting the perspective of a of players who've you know who've played at a professional level and an international level in, in Sonny's case. So yeah, it was really, really enjoyable. Uh, so hope you enjoy it too. And as always, feel free to let us know your thoughts at Attacking Scrum on Twitter. You can join our Facebook page or our Facebook group uh, as well. So you can find the Facebook group by searching for Wales Rugby Fans. And if you've really enjoyed it, then please leave us a review on iTunes. I know I mention this a lot, but it does help us out if you're able to, to do that for us. It just makes it more visible so other like-minded fans can... Uh, can find our podcast on iTunes and uh, yeah if you you know likewise you can do it the old-fashioned way and tell your mates as well tell them in the pub or the terraces or wherever it is that you chat about your rugby and uh, yeah finally as always a big thanks to our sponsors So Coffee Trades and if you want to get your hands on some great quality coffee be sure to head over to socoffeetrades.co.uk hope you enjoy
Thanks very much. Uh, thanks very much, everyone, for joining. First, uh, a quick intro for anyone who uh, anyone who's not familiar with the gentleman on my left. Uh, first up, a man who played 31 times for Wales, played in two Rugby World Cups, a firm favourite with the likes of Ponty, Celtic Warriors, Ospreys, and of course, here at London Welsh, she's your director of rugby, Sunny Parker. And secondly, an uncompromising tight head prop, although now sometimes second rower as well. Very, uh, very versatile. A man who played over 100 times for the Ospreys. Uh, was also in the, the, uh, the under-21 Wales side in 2005 that won the Grand Slam alongside the likes of Alan Wynne-Jones, Ian Evans and Ali Brew. And now, of course, head coach here at London Welsh, Kai Griffiths. First up, as Dan said, we'll be playing Fact or Fiction, which is a regular part of our, our podcast. So we'll be asking our distinguished guests to my left to decide whether the statement we read out is fact or it's fiction, whether they agree with it or it's complete rubbish. Dan, who's the first statement and who's it for? I'm going to throw this out to Kai, first of all. Um, Eddie Jones simply doesn't know his best lineup. Fact or fiction? Fuck. <laughs> fact, yeah. I thought you said something else then. No, no, fuck. <laughs> Simple as that. There's no, he's, he's still still completely unsure of it. Any anyone you think who's who's knocking around that setup that if you were Eddie Jones would be straight in that lineup. That's a tough question. Um, um, for, for me, it's yeah, they're they're in a in a sticky place at the moment, aren't they? Uh, I think it's been a shock for everyone going into where they've lost those two games. Um, yeah, I think there's big question marks regarding that back row back row. Uh, the combination is not quite there, but yeah, it's probably better to answer me to call who's the best three in the back row there. But yeah, I, I don't know who, who would actually play there, if I want to see. Okay. Um, all right then, so let's go, let's uh, throw to you on this one. Ireland have shown in this year's tournament that they're genuine contenders to win the Rugby World Cup in 2019. Fact or fiction? Uh, very much fact. Um, I just think they've got the leadership there. I, I think when they from quite a while ago when they lost uh, Brian O'Driscoll, I felt they just developed their team from there as well because they lost a lot of leadership. So from what they've brought in, uh, from especially their, their type five, has been excellent, I think. But I think the biggest thing for me is, is their halves. They've uh, created some halves there that can control the game and they've, they've got a very little head there. I think that's probably where, uh, talking about Kai's question before with England and their, and their halves, I think there's... Yeah, you know, like forwards struggled against France. Um, they just haven't got a consistent halves there at the moment. So they've got the athletes, they've got the, the talent there. But um, going back to Ireland again, it's just for me, it's basing a game around that nine and ten, and having a you know a very constructive sort of forward pack, which Ireland have got. I think that's kind of shown outside as well. If you look, they've had a fair few injuries in that in that thirteen shirt, and the likes yeah. of Ring Rose and Farrell have just slotted straight in there yeah. and looked. And look massively comfortable, but it must help having having that settled uh, that settled halfback combination inside. Yeah, it's just like any team, you, you just need something. You know, um, even the, with our team, we have like a little, like these little type of leadership groups, and you can see that Ireland have that. Um, the co- the coaching staff there um, in the past with the teams that have coached in the past, that have done that. This is one of those things you do and you, that you actually do in a rugby team, as you said, like core sort of standard shot throughout a team and everything's based around that so so yeah yeah I don't have got a very good chance at the moment to be honest at the, at the start of Six Nations there were, it was a bit of a mixed bag for me I, I didn't really know but the start of Six Nations for me was a bit strange so I, th- I thought France was going to have a good go and Scotland so it's sort of 
this, this opened up everything for the World Cup, really. Well, it could have been all very different as well if Sexton hadn't slotted that monster, yeah. that monster drop goal. Yeah, it was crazy, uh, crazy into a game. Actually, I actually did watch that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such fine margins. Um, Kai, even though they struggle away from Murrayfield, Scotland are the most improved team in the Six Nations. Fact or fiction? Do you feel like you're getting the hard ones here, Carl? I am, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers for that, mate, again. <laughs> um, is it, is, is, that's, a, that's a tough one because they were quite heavily hyped today going into yeah. this one. Um, I guess they haven't sort of, they haven't barred up to a point where going in there getting the results so they need it especially from all the hype. So I don't know if they were listening to their old hype or something. So I guess they haven't really performed to what they could have been, especially in this campaign anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like, like for me, I just feel that they they went from their Gregor Townsend style of playing a rugby, which you can do at a top flight type of rugby. When you go international, you have to tighten it up a little bit and, uh, and in certain parts of the game, whereas the Scots do play quite a lot, whereas sometimes they should either kick the ball or keep it tight. So I think the adjusting between going from that top flight sort of arena playing for, for Glasgow into the international is, is just that much different. So I think they're just adjusting between the two. Whereas I think they've got the skill level to do it. I think mm. they have got the forward pack to do it. I think it's just adjusting between group. He just needs more time to be able to adjust with the squad that he has. I think the hype thing that, that Kai says is really interesting as well. You know, obviously both as, as ex-players yourself, is that an easy thing to kind of to shield yourself away from when you're playing well and the press are bigging you up? Is that, or is that a difficult thing? Do you, do you occasionally start to think, yeah, we are, we are as good as the press say we are? It's, it, it comes down to the player. And obviously they say you get shut out, you don't really know what the press you, you do, especially nowadays with Twitter, Instagram. Players have got a lot of downtime when they go, they check their Twitter, they check their hear a lot of people talking them up. So, yeah, but it, it is down to that person and their mindset as well, where if, it, if, it, if you're quite, not weak, but if you can see that that does seek and drip into you, you might start thinking, yeah, I am actually this good. So I can't say if those players are taking that on going into this campaign. Um, so it's, it's quite a hard one to call after that. Yeah, it's like one of those... It's one of those things where, like we even do in our group with our boys, is we try and keep it within our circle. Mm. Like anything out, anything outside of any chat, negative, positive, or anything, it doesn't matter. It's only it only matters what's in the circle of our group of players. We sort of install that with, with our boys anyway. So at the moment, I think oh, it must be working because we're playing some good rugby. But in terms of um, when I was international uh, playing with Warren Gatlin, he was massive on not not listening to the media or anything, didn't like newspapers in the, in the, you know, at, at, in the hotels or anything, didn't want the boys to do that, so I don't know if he's changed his mindset uh, now, but that, that's what it was like in 2008, so um, I don't know if he's still doing the same thing, but uh, I know he sort of installed that sort of, um, having just that group, just worried about what's a group, and you know, you always listen to the people that are closest to you in terms of your performances and everything, your family, you know, players that you play around in the coaches so that's an awesome you know our opinion is personally shouldn't really matter should matter from that group so okay uh, and so yeah you mentioned with regards to the French team you fancied at the at the start of the tournament do you think that 
the Six Nations requires a competitive France. So, you know, I'd, I'd say that, I've slipped that fact or fiction mode here, haven't I? Um, so Six Nations needs a, a competitive French team, fact or fiction? Uh, yes, oh, um, like I'm, I, was, I, was, I really was excited to have a look at this team, to see what the coach was doing, just watching sort of the game plan that they... Um, that they're going to bring in with the squad because I, personally I think they've got probably the most talented most talented team um, and most athletic and you know, maybe they lost that young fly off at the beginning mm. of the year but they brought an experience so I can't remember what's Foxes. Yeah, Foxes, yeah. yeah, when they brought him I thought yeah, they could have developed something but just I just feel how they've been coached the way that they're playing just running into brick walls at the moment even though they won against England the other day they were just running into brick walls it was just a for me, it was a complete yeah. arm wrestle. Or, you know, it's not the French way of playing, I don't think. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, would, I just think they've got the players here. Yeah, for me, and how they're playing rugby, they're running into brick walls at the moment. They, they're, they're not as creative as I think they could be. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it's just down to the coaching, to be honest. Which is a difficult thing to say because the, as a coach, <laughs> you, sort of, you, know, you don't want to blame the coach. You know, yeah. You've got other factors, but... Um, well, Anne, this yeah. has been, it's been a really short turnaround. He's not been in charge of that side for very long. So I suppose the tendency might be to, to stick to Route 1 to start with, especially with injuries you mentioned. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just, just certain things you can see in the game. It's, you know, you've got to, you know, they're, they're in the wide channels and they've got a whole spread out you know, of defence. Then they just head up and then so close to like what we call a BNC defender. And then... They get the ball back, recycle, and it's the same picture. I just, I just don't understand that that type of rugby for me. Yeah, you know, it's getting quite technical, but um, yeah, I just, I just don't know what they're doing there at the moment. That's considerably more technical than it gets on our podcast uh, on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kai. Um, Warren Gatlin's been left with more questions than answers over selection, fact or fiction. I suppose you know the ten, uh, the ten shares is probably uh, going to come into play here a bit. That's pretty, yes. Factor now, I think, for especially this campaign, more than the others. I think a lot of people, myself included, we've seen that the depth is, is getting there now. Where probably before we had 16, 17 players, anything behind that then was the times you play against Tonga um, or the USA going on tours of them. But I think at this moment in time, I think everybody. Is there, they're about to. I think they've got a strong 30 now, which takes a huge, especially if they've got another, need another year going into the World Cup and all that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenging call. And I, and I, I would probably go with Dan as 10. You would, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I would probably would. Um, is that because he's not? Yeah, he's not great, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, 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 it's a challenging call. And all the, the other two now are hunting him down as well, which is great for Dan himself. I mean, the, th- the thing that strikes strikes us from the outside looking in is that Bigger looks so comfortable at that level in terms of the intensity. I think you know when you look at him getting taken on the Lions the Lions tour as well. You know, as a guy you will have you will have played with, he strikes me as a, as one hell of a competitor. Yeah, he's for, even from when he was uh, about seventeen, eighteen year old spotty guy. Uh, he was uh, yeah, he was crazy, crazy. <laughs> no, no, he was he, he always wanted that shirt. Yeah. Um, I think. Time that when Henson was playing ten for us, and I think probably Hooky mm. then, he still was. They were sort of the names in Welsh rugby for quite a long time, where being especially in the Ospreys as well. But he was there out training all the time, hunting them down. And eventually, got the shirt. He's yeah, he's very competitive, very very competitive. So it's probably so it's very very difficult to 
to move move off him than to drop him just because of the security element that he that he gives. Is it because the other boys are obviously a lot more fluid players? Yeah, a lot of people are, are looking for that X factor ten, you know, where he's able to do everything and break and do a step, <coughs> chip and everything like that. But Dan is solid. Mm. Doing, he's he's giving you you know what you're going to get with Dan. Um, maybe there is someone five years down the line that is Dan and that X factor, but I, I think. He's, he's more secure than the other two. As a front row forward, then you, you, uh, you're more than happy to see Dan Pigger there. Yeah, pigging him to the corners. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. And yeah, we spoke we spoke briefly about Johnny Sexton and dropping that dropping that goal crucial times. I guess if you're in you know if you're in a, a World Cup quarter final, hopefully a semi final, if you've got Dan Bigger back in the pocket or making those massive calls right at the end, he's the kind of player you trust to to get it right. Yeah, and mental as well. Do you know what I mean? I think Dan is. Cool. He doesn't look cool, but he does make the right decisions uh, but, well, all the time. But yeah, I, I would definitely go for him, especially in those pressure. Because the other guys have played quite a bit of international rugby now, but when it's maybe Australia in the quarterfinals or something, how are they going to bear up? So yeah, done. We we often say on the, uh, on, the, on, the on the pod that we need to see um, a number of the the tens given sort of a run of games as opposed to. You know, with Wales for in particular, we give you know we give Anscombe a go, we'll give Patchell a go. They'll make the odd mistake, and then they're they're almost dropped. Uh, well, they are dropped, and then we revert back to to type. Do you are, are we sort of right in thinking that you need to give you need to give the other tens a go, consistent? You know, give them give them a run of two or three games at least to see whether they can perform at that level, or do you think it's too brutal that you just have you know if a mistake's made then that's 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 your go. Um, I th- well, personally, I think you have to give them a go. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing for us as as coaching team as well it's it's to see what they happen, you know, see what they do when they do make a mistake as well. Um, so it's their it's for their personal benefit also. So if they are making mistakes, you know, it's sort of one of those things where you just you know, pick yourself back up, and that's what you want from a coaching squad as well. They're probably looking for that to see, you know, if they do make mistakes to see how they react. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things where I think you have to. You've, you've still got that time um, in between the World Cup. Obviously, um, uh, the other day when I was speaking to the, the CEO, he was of, of uh, Welsh, the uh, Welsh rugby, and he was talking massively about the development of the players to be able to go to the World Cup because obviously you've got your pool stages in that as well. So you've got to think about that. You've got to protect players also. So. You have to breed these guys to be able to play in those pool games as well to rest your, your starters to be able to play in the bigger games in the later stages. So sort of like that. All right, Kai. I feel like you've you've had the uh, you've had the short end of the stick so far. So we'll give you a bit of an easier one. We'll give you a bit of an easier one. And I've got a feeling I know what your answer to this might be, given the uh, given the injury you had earlier on. But a lot of chat this weekend on social media about rugby going soft. So rugby gone soft, fact or fiction? Yeah, he can't even ruck these days, can he? So yeah, he has gone soft. No, there's there's a, there's a heightened awareness now for for players' um, safety. Um, I don't agree with everything. Probably agree regarding the collision to the neck head area for sure, especially with more um, research into concussion and that type of protocol. Yeah. Um, 
well, to be careful what I say here, but yeah, the person's on the wrong side of the thing and he's having a shoe and he's having a shoe and so that's why I just hold my old school thing. But yeah, in the right area, it's not his head, obviously. But no, nah, no, nah, you have to be careful, yeah. especially with, obviously the game is not hasn't been 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the line as professionals. So probably without the start of the research into concussion, mm. probably NFL <coughs> further down the line. You see guys coming out with dementia and all that as well. So yeah, there's definitely an aspect of um, player welfare for sure, and that that is it's critical to have that for sure, definitely. It's an interesting one though, rucking as well, because actually I think the the tackle area is obviously one part of the game where there's a big opportunity for head collisions, but also at the breakdown as well. You almost wonder sometimes. I've seen a few ex-pros suggest this that if you go back to the days of being on the wrong side and a bit of slipper, and it might alleviate the need for those massive collisions off the ball. Yeah, th- th- for sure. Um, it's in that, when that guy's over the ball and his neck and his head's by the ball and you're trying to get him out of the way, you, you, you pinpoint it anywhere to try and get him out yeah. of that situation. So there's not much difference between you completely flying into that ruck, trying to clear him out, and you sort of a high, not a high tackle, but a shoulder into the neck when you're sort of ta- made the tackle a bit wrong, a bit high. They're basically two same collisions. Mm. So, yeah, there might be scope in that. Um, but, yeah, guys are getting bigger and stronger and there's more pressure coming out. And ligaments, joints and stuff are still the same they were 20 years ago. Yeah. So. Like the, for me, the scary thing is looking at the latest stats from the, um, rugby, world, uh, the rugby world thing in terms of the concussion is at six, you get more concussions from the actual tackler. So it makes you making the tackle. So... That's probably the scariest thing. So I don't know what, how they're going to adjust that with tackle rules and everything. Because if you're making a bog standard tech, technical tackle, I just don't know how you're going to uh, change that. In the day, the research with it at the moment, and it's um, you know the finer stages. We just you know at the moment we just don't know where we're treating with it at the moment. That's probably the scariest thing. Okay, um, Sonny, grassroots rugby needs protecting at all costs. I suppose this is. Uh, Within, well, um, I suppose uh, uh, generally, general. really. I mean, there's a lot of chat in Wales at the moment, isn't it? The, the BBC have just lost the rights to, to air the Friday night games, and uh, it's going to be behind a, a paywall now. Lots of people in Wales, you know, won't be able to to, to afford to go and watch the games, yeah. um, and then won't be able to pay the you know, the ten pound a month supposed TV subscription. So, yeah, grassroots may be affected. How how important is grassroots rugby? Um, you know, I just know someone uh, mentioned with Dunvant the other day that they, you know, they just, they've only played what, four games this year as well. So, yeah, the grassroots thing's massive. Like, oh, obviously, we play our rugby week in, week out, so it doesn't, it doesn't affect us. You know, at least we get a bit of an, you know, inc- some sort of income throughout the clubs. But um, looking at especially Wales, so I, just, I, I don't know how they've organised their games, but in terms of... Um, club rugby, I just think club rugby in Wales is in the decline. To be honest, by looking just yeah. looking at that, well, what I've seen lately, so um, it's just organising different times and when you're playing, like how we do it here. I think you know you're always going to get a general amount of in- income if you just play, playing a game for a different time. You know, just gets people on the pitch for a bit longer throughout, throughout the game day. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So yeah, it is in decline at the moment unless they change it. Yeah. I think what Sully was saying there is there's. Obviously, we're three months into this season and this year, from January to now, and I think it was basically four games, five games mm-hmm. that Dunvant had played. 
in three months. So if, to us players to turn up yeah. on a Tuesday, Thursday, no, no excitement on a Saturday. Again the next week, Tuesday, Thursday, no excitement on a Saturday. People are just going to drop off easily. Especially with the weather not being that good either around this time of year. It's just going to drop and drop. Then they'll pick it up back up when the game starts again. But they might have lost five players for that for the whole season. So, yeah, it's sad. I, I don't know how they do. they're going to change it there. But I think here, how it's working here, it's working really well. Yeah. So we're playing in international weekends. We might try to change our kickoff time to adjust with games and stuff. So it's worked really well. Um, but, yeah, in Wales, when I saw that January, mm. one, two games, I think, how can that be right? You know? But that flexibility seems key as well, doesn't it? Because you've got, like you say, you play international weekends, and then you've got the opportunity to watch the international in the clubhouse. It keeps the club mentality yeah. Yeah. going as well. So you're actually keeping people in and around the club, get stuck into a few pints. And, you know, because I think that's the thing that, that we love about grassroots rugby is that it's not just about it's not just about what goes on on the pitch. You know, it's as much about what happens yeah. in the clubhouse as anything else. Completely. It just seems like a no-brainer, really, on <laughs> how we do it, to be honest. All right, let's uh, just quickly bring it back to bring it back to the Six Nations uh, for a sec. Uh, so again, this one's uh, this one's for you, Kai. Um, so <laughs> the uh, can I just stop you there? <laughs> <laughs> I've watched one game. <laughs> All Six Nations. I watched one game. Very busy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell. Was, was that game an Italian game by any chance? Yeah. It was. <laughs> was it? <laughs> All right, I don't well, even for, remember which game. <laughs> All right, for, for, for either of you then, whoever, whoever, uh, whoever jumps in first on this one. So the Italian record in the Six Nations stands at 93 games played and just 12 wins. Is it time for the Italians to, to earn a seat at the, the top table of European rugby or do we need to, to protect their place in the Six Nations? Um, they've got the at, at the, at the highest level, they've got an excellent coaching team with uh, Conor O'Shea and uh, Kat there, but I, play, play, I used to play in Italy for, well, from 98 to 99, so uh, I just know the structure that was there then is pretty much similar to it is now, so they, they're trying to develop things slowly, but you just, you just can't hit the schools, um, you know, you've got your clubs, they love it, but it just, it just doesn't go past that, you haven't, you haven't got any... Like the, you haven't got the like, grassroots like you do here. So, for me, as if they haven't got the structure in place, then no, I I, I don't feel like they deserve to deserve to They'll always be going. chasing. With They're always chasing. They always chase um, because they haven't got the structure there no. from the bottom up. So yeah, you might have six, seven, eight guys, really good guys. They'll be there for four or five years at the international levels. They'll drop off. Another four will come in. They haven't got the 30 that you need to perform at that level, so yeah, they will struggle. So I, I played there for six months, mm. and it was, uh, yeah, it, was, it was it was good wine, but that's what it is. <laughs> Do you think that uh, it's George's time? It's good I mean, they're being talked about in Romania as well. It's, it's a really good question. Um, yeah, well, people are talking about them, and they've had a couple of good performance and results as well, haven't they? So, they've certainly got the interest levels over there, yeah. they get sort of, you know, Gates of 50,000, 50, there's, uh, there's a big demand there, isn't there? Yeah, you're, st yeah. you're still getting in the gates at um, the Italian games mm. as well, but yeah, I, I can't comment on George's because I, I don't know what the infrastructure is like either, but 
Um, that the hardest things for uh, like even the likes of Georgia and the Italian teams is most of the internationals playing in different countries, so they haven't got the luxury of like a lot of the Welsh players being in Wales or England, so they you know they can't get together as much. Mm. So that's probably one of the biggest things as well is that they haven't got that um, you know that joint sort of thing where they're constantly training together and whatnot. So uh, yeah, but if you know if Italy aren't doing much better, yeah, well, I can't see why not. You can't give Georgia a go to be honest, but. That's a big slap, of, you know, mm. slap across the face as well. So yeah. it's sort of, yeah, it's a strange one. It's a yeah. strange one. Okay. Um, yeah. Last question on fact or fiction. I would just th- throw it out here. Um, Ireland's Ireland are Six Nations best side because they can adapt to different refereeing styles. Because um, it's something that we often talk about is that the refereeing is is everyone. Every referee has got a slightly different way of, 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 of how they ref the breakdown, their interpretation, and Ireland seem to adapt pretty quickly to what's going on um, we've you know Wales have often have often struggled you know England have you know, Scotland have but there you know Joe Schmidt's a pretty canny operator isn't he and um, do you think there's anything in that at all um, well going back to the Ospreys a couple of years ago we were profiling um, referees going into games so as much as we're doing video analysis on the team we'd have what was it 10-15 minutes video on just the ref, his tendencies, because they're not going to change much from week to week to week. So I don't know if he's doing a bit more homework on the ref, um, because if, if you know his tendencies, you've got that, and the other team doesn't, you've got that couple of percentage edge that you know in that tackle breakdown, he doesn't really ping for rolling away. Yeah. So you can stay in there for a little bit more, because you know he's not going to ping for it. So I don't know if he's adapting that well, that he's understanding that, mm. yeah, we've got this ref, this is what this ref is all about, and he's getting the edge in that way. But yeah, the team now are analysing the refs and what how they perform. Was there a ref that you used to dread getting when you when you saw it was announced? Was there anyone that you got across the wrong side of a few times? To either of you? I know. <laughs> I, I've, I've never really personally I've never been worried about refs. Nah, I think you can control the game on how you want. But yeah, like we did used to study them and. Uh, you can even get these days. You can even get because uh, the refs get stats and on their performance as well. We get to see that, so you get to see where they get their, you know where they do most of the advantages and penalties from different situations as well. So, so we can get that sort of information as well if you want. So it's sort of uh, so you can read a lot into it. But uh, in the day, we don't really this, in this league that we're in now. We don't really concentrate on the match. Nah. Just happy he turns up. Yeah. <laughs> on sometimes, time. sometimes they turn up random times. Don't they? <laughs> so yeah. Thanks for listening to the first part of our Six Nations special with Sonny Parker and Kai Griffiths, which we recorded down at London Welsh. Make sure you tune in later in the week because we'll have the second part in which we take Q&A from the audience and we also play this really fun new feature called Tap and Go, which is a series of quick-fire questions which the boys shared some of their favourite touring memories and also some of the strangest things they've had said to them as players. So make sure you don't miss that one. And if you've enjoyed this, please leave us a review on iTunes and we'll catch you very, very soon.
Social Podcast Network.